it's a challenge to help investors see the value potential in a tech play by a local events photo booth company. I'd be willing to bet that if you're listening to this and you live in Baltimore, you've been indirectly photographed by today's guest. Patrick Reif co-founded Pixelated with his business partner Nick Kina in 2012. Their streamlined camera stand coupled with super high-quality photos expanded quickly from wedding and bat mitzvah staple to major marketing tool among regional businesses. Patrick is passionate and a really positive force, so naturally we started the conversation discussing the series of murders that took place at Pixelated's headquarters before his team moved in. Be surprised. He kept, keeps alluding to like his like his secret ingredient, which made his like roadside pit beef stand like so popular. And I always sold out and like and he, but he's like telling it from his narrative because it's like a serial killer blog where he's got people that are like fanning over him creepily. Dear Lord. So yeah, totally. So the officer's like, "Well, you know about it, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, like I definitely." Yeah, if you ever want to... Do you achieve rent because of that? Actually, Pixelated is incredibly affordable. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think people might be surprised to know you guys are in Lansdowne because you're... Moral Park. Moral Park. Sorry. But it's all... It's like Hailthorpe, Lansdowne, Moral Park. Totally. But I feel like it's like your job... You know, like I live in Hamilton and not Lauraville. And if, you know, like you're like, I live in Hamilton and Lauraville, people are like, well, I live in Lauraville. Do and you're, they're like, oh, above Cold Spring, you live in Hamilton. Like, Neighborhood I, recognition is important. Yeah, well, listen, do. I'm from Dundalk, so there are a few people that are probably as aware of neighborhood responsibility as myself. So, well, you guys had the the fight, right, with um or the competition about the the dome. Oh, with, the ownership with Essex. Of it. That was more like something that I feel like the rest of the Beltway foisted upon Dundalk and Essex to really? to battle it out themselves. Although I would definitely, I mean, you know, I haven't really given critical analysis to this question in a long time. I guess as far as land goes, it's like definitively Dundalk because there's no part of Essex that is really on that side of the water. Hmm. Um, but it's it's out there. It's on the outskirts. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. you would know. Some people might call it North Point. So you're from Dundalk originally? I'm from Dundalk, yeah. I grew up in a neighborhood called St. Helena, which is... Um, between Old Dundalk and the Marine Terminal, so just um, like a block and a half off of the Marine Terminal. So that's got like a big warm spot in my heart just because it was always at the end of my street, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are uh, accentless, however, which do you... I blame it on um, on phonics, on Catholic school, speaking of coming full circle. So I went to um, Sacred Heart of Mary. NDP. On Youngstown <laughs> Avenue. Mm-hmm. So... And we studied um, phonics, and people have told me – this is just me, like, spouting, regurgitating shit I've heard over the years. But people had said that apparently a lot of people that managed to evade a typical Dundalk or Baltimore accent has a lot to do with how they learned phonetics. That's very interesting. So I blame it on phonics. Yeah. Thanks, SHM. I was also Catholic school, but sixth grade on, and – my, some of my siblings have, like, wicked Baltimore accents. And my son does, which is weird, too. But it's kind of weird how that kind of shows up and presents. It is. You know, like, it, it's really funny. And I feel like there are some things that I've – I don't know. I've always been really aware of, of like, pronunciation for whatever reason. And it's, I think it's the kind of thing where, uh, you know, like, if I'm mispronouncing something and someone corrects me, like, it really irks my nerves mm-hmm. because I think that I try and be – very studious to not let that happen. Um, 
Well, you're also um, a public speaker. I mean, you you seem to enjoy it. I'm not sure if you do or not, but startup soiree era. Yeah. I mean, that. Yeah. You seem like quite in your element. I like to talk. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, I I I tell people this a lot, but I. I like to say that if you met my dad, it would really explain a lot because it would make me look like I don't talk very much at all because my dad is a guy that can just literally will can soak up five hours of your time. If you were just to sit there and just not stop him, he would, you know, probably ask you something like totally incidental and then quickly tie it into some like Jim Morrison lyric. And then he would be like talking about like the Celts and like when they when they did this and like how they came to the coast of Normandy and that like how did we get there and, and we'll and, but but we'll go and 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 you'll have glazed over for hours and you'll just be like what the fuck like what are we talking about I'm going to gnaw my arm off I'm losing my mind and then all of a sudden he'll be like and that's why I was talking about the index fund and you'd be like oh the index fund and you're like oh my god that was actually a narrative that we were on that, that was purposefully going somewhere but it's just so abstract so i have the innate ability to just ramble in the abstract as just evidenced right now do you do you bring it back are you able to bring I, it back yeah yeah i would say that my reverie is at times um more hazy than other times but yeah i mean i um I really love to get on with people. Like, I fucking love that shit. Like, it makes me so happy. It is the single thing that has made me uniquely valuable and pixelated is that I just like to vibe with people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's how I make friends. It's how I – like, I'm not a businessman. Like, I made music my whole life. And then I had a baby. And I was going to have to go to nursing school. And I didn't instead, know you were thinking about nursing school. Yeah, seriously, which I thought would be great because, again, yeah. like the vibe side of it, I was terrified of the math and science side of that. Well, what you want a nurse is <laughs> forget science. <laughs> Can he talk to me? feels are good, <laughs> yeah. like fuck the EKG. Um, yeah, I, was, I had worked at, at uh, Johns Hopkins School of Nursing uh, as a barista. <laughs> a footnote there. Um, so I kind of gotten exposed to it a little bit and I knew that nurses got paid pretty well and I was trying to figure out how I could, um, cover ground. Like I'd gone, I, you know, waited until I was 27 and then went to college only to end up still with an art degree. Um, so while what I was doing was really fun, I could see that I was going in the direction of having a family and needing to be able to be more responsible to them. So yeah, at any rate, like I, I thought that the... I don't know. Nursing seemed kind of cool. You it know, makes like sense now that you The professionals were, um, were super – I mean, so that was the thing. I had – Chelsea and I had been living in um, Mount Vernon together, and I had been trying to um, become a musician, which meant just working in my apartment all night long on music and never sharing it with anyone less and less as the years ticked by. You know, just waiting you for that. the – that it was like this concept of like the roving – like microscope that goes over the world looking for hard drives full of like wonderful things to then patch together to like a record executive, you know, like it's so when I think back about it now, I feel really okay about what I accomplished as a musician because I actually, aside from writing music, which I still feel very 
uh, confident with the music that I made, like I don't feel bad anymore about not having gotten more exposure because I never tried mm-hmm. actually at all. Like I never made an effort, arguably. So, which is interesting because your job now is like all about brand exposure. Couldn't do it for art when it was my thing. So yeah, I'd like a lot of millennials have come through the doors of pixelated, and I don't like play. You know, like I don't sit around and like make music in the office. But you know, like there's guitars hanging on the wall, and there are like crates and crates of records and just from a feels point of view you can tell that pixelated is created by people that have you know some aesthetic feels right mm-hmm. they have ideas of their own like we clearly like art and music and all that kind of stuff and i think they see what we have done and in, in the role that i've played in creating pixelated the brand and selling it and wrapping it up and having it be like this awesome thing that just everybody participates, you know, like pixelated is like carnival, you know, (laughs) like it's meant to be that way. Like, come on, like bring your beer. Like you can hang out with us. Like, People we are like, buried in the backyard. Like, there's pe- like, Anything it's goes. so easy to, you know, there's good parking. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I grew up, I'm 38 years old. So I was crestfallen in 12 or 13 when Kurt Cobain killed himself. Right. And, uh, was buying all of the records of the like fake t-shirts that he made. So like getting into things like Flipper and Sonic Youth. And so I was a product of the American underground, but like after the cusp, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like once indie was like a real kind of, maybe not totally a real thing, but things had already started to bloom and alternative music had happened. And in that whole world of, you know, like uh, Fugazi being important to me and $5 shows and integrity around your music and your art, I try and tell the people that that work with us, you know, you couldn't, like, let Red Bull underwrite anything. Like, that was – you couldn't even you couldn't even sign to Columbia. Like, you needed to sign to something that's, that wasn't going to give you any money, wasn't going to help you actually sell your right. records. Like, it wasn't well, about that. We needed shit that. to write about still, right? You couldn't, like – make it <laughs> totally you couldn't make it you couldn't and that there was an ethos that it was all about that so it just it's almost like for the majority of people and i would say for maybe the smaller minded of artists that didn't see that that whole thing is a ruse and really the whole goal is to get what you're doing exposure no matter what so for whatever reason when i made art and when i made music i hadn't figured my way out of that um, like Rubik's Cube and with Pixelated it was a brand and while it was mine it, the whole purpose of it was for it to make money mm-hmm. like it's, sure. it was about making a business and and there was a lot of other goals and purposes with it but it wasn't a dirty word anymore and then I realized that if I could just do this extension of my personality where I could just kind of come in and be copacetic with people and you know, try and be a part of what they were doing and hope that they might want to hear a little bit about what we were doing. Uh, And then that worked. And I was like, well, this is awesome because this feels very natural to me Mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel like I'm betraying anything. Um, So I've, I haven't made um, any music or any art to speak of in seven years since I started Pixelated. And that's because um, it has always just felt like the next project. So by the time I was done, right when I was starting Pixelated, the last works that I was making were big, immersive. If I was working with with music, I was working with sound, and it was very sculptural, and it was conceptual. And if I was working with art, I was doing these big pieces that were very multimedia. So this was just – is. 
turned into the most extreme version of that, right? So like I, I try and tell some of the graphic designers that come and work for us and, and anyone that, you know, if you don't think that there is art in building a website that in one side um, tempts the sirens of Google crawlers and gets them to do and report back on you the way that you want them to, mm-hmm. while simultaneously offers an experience to human beings who come and through the colors and the messaging and the feel and tonality of your website, you get them to do something that you want them to do. Uh, if you can't see the art in that, like you really need to um, to go back and look at it because it's artful at the very, very least. So for me, like Pixelated has just felt like this continuation, and that's the same way that Startups Worry felt to me as well. Was well, this this whole community thing, and this whole, um, you know, Nick and I both have always f- f- identified with the underdog, um, and that is is built at the very core of everything that we've always done. Um, but the, I think the the thing that happened with Pixelated was that we found the strength in one another that we were each lacking individually to persevere and finally take that mission statement of the underdog and make it populous in a way and and to draw enough power uh, off of one another that in the moments of like backdraft we could keep pushing through and it allowed us to take that agenda and make it what we knew it could always be but you know like sometimes in your like in dark moments you lose your confidence right and if you're by yourself it's easy to have it roll back on you. Um, this feels like a little metaphorical for Baltimore. There, I think absolutely. I mean, there's the, such an underdog mentality here, and but but I think the reason that we do well is because everybody jibes. I mean, like everybody jibes, jibes, yeah, jibes. Yeah, the yeah with a V. Jibes, Victor. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think our strength is is that people can actually look to each other for help and for guidance and for for anything really. Yeah. And that so I, I don't know that just struck me as as maybe a metaphor god it's interesting to be approaching 40 in a city that i've been in for my whole life and to see the different um the different permutations that it goes through and to still think of myself as cut from you know i've never played at the crown but i feel like it's like cut from my rib a little bit as well even though i don't have i don't and i don't mean like everyone listening that's like i've never seen him there i've seen him there twice like i don't mean to claim ownership of it at all but it it feels like a continuation of um of something that i was a part of Mm -hmm. as well and i remember even being a teenager well before wham city and going up into like the copycat building and they there were these older, you know, echelon of Baltimore people that were organizing these events called, one was called Blood for Blood and one was called Cones and Rods. And it was like um, a month-long thing that was curated for like Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, four weekends in a row. And they were bringing in bands like Blonde Redhead or bringing in like Lungfish or Fugazi or Convocation of. And there would be like three bands a night and it would be the best kind of top bands in Baltimore. And then like, kind of big underground bands that would come through. But then there was also this entire curation of art. So it was this environment and it was these very like creative kind of things that were, that were taking place. Um, And then in kind of the, the early, early aughts and the nineties, it, 
when I would have been kind of doing the majority of my work and it felt um, siloed, right, and fragmented. And I think Wait, that it early had, 90s? Yeah. You would have been like the 10. M- m- no, no, not early 90s. Oh, like, like 90, 1993 okay. to. Okay, sorry. You know, I was yeah, like, your parents were. Two, 2006, 2008. Okay. No. Um, so. <laughs> Whatever, I'm sorry. Coming all the way through it, I remember watching all of kind of the 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 big activation of the entire warehouse scene, right? When H&H was just crushing it and there was multiple floors going on. Mm-hmm. And Howard Street had all of those like different spaces that were opening up and there was all that kind of pretentiousness that was happening around it. And, and it hit its kind of fulcrum. And then it broke back down, and that's where the crown kind of happened underneath it all, right? We and there's moved others. here in 2006, so that would have been that sort of pivotal year, because yep. I remember going to H and H. I remember going to um, Copycat and not realizing it was apartments. Oh yeah. And I'd be like, we saw MIA there one night. Uh huh. We're like raging and having, and I was like, wait, I'm in someone's apartment. Yeah. There's a bed. Yes. Totally. Totally crazy. Totally crazy, yeah. right? So then you know that stuff kind of waned, and. There was like the, the the post that period of time, and that's where the crown really came to be like so important and so central. Um, and that's when like a lot of the warehouses, either the people that had run them for years, just kind of, you know, like Jason Yurick moved to Portland, uh, Oregon, which I don't know if you know Jason, but Jason was mm-hmm. a central part of floristry. Like he was a huge part of bringing all of the talent in from out of town, just an exceptionally networked and I don't mean that in a negative connotation just like an exceptionally connected person that wanted to create cool things and do them his own way yeah. and he had people that wanted to help him bring them to fruition so at any rate the the place where it's gotten to now I find it to be so inspiring because it still feels like that kinetic scene but it feels much more unified. And this is from the outside looking in, I think, at this point. It's, it's, it's safe to say. Um, but the way that the Baltimore underground arts and music scene really metamorphosized to really include and, and, and put forward um, gender politics and the way that it em- embraced kind of like uh, – the LGBTQ elements in like the art and music scene, which had always just been so profoundly everywhere in Baltimore, but for whatever reason, it didn't feel like it got presented in the same light as everything else. And now it feels like a much more uh, unified palette of of what's kind of being presented out there. And um, so for that reason, I think it's interesting, but the other side of it is I think all the time about how much Baltimore would benefit from having the right documentation around what is taking place. And and by that, all I mean is a voracious blogger, vlogger, podcaster who just wants to be out every single night getting little five-question things cranked off to like a different band or a different artist at their opening and then getting it on the web before 7 a.m. for everyone's commute. And, and the way that that type of uh, documentation really gives validity, and it it also brings opportunities to all of the things that are happening here, right? So, like, all of a sudden you do, like, a cool podcast, and, like, maybe everyone that listens to music isn't listening to it as much as you'd like, but there are people that are just interested in weird communities in general around the globe, and they find it, and then they get exposed to a band or a piece of music, and maybe they're like, 
a weirdo filmmaker that just scours stuff and now they want to take someone who is still in the warehouse but they're writing incredible music and you know there's not tons of record labels that are here in in town that have tons and tons of money but you know the right person placing a song in the right environment can change the entire kind of the the evolution of where an artist's like path is going in a whole city right so like sounds like you might have a new project well i mean i've always kind of it's for me i just think i think about something like as, as simple and and kind of now is like generic as as pitchfork media but that was just a, a dorm room blog about chicago music and it turned into like they like review whitney houston reissues now like it's like a major it's like yeah. rolling stone magazine and all it did was start as a blog that was covering a very niche market mm-hmm. and uh baltimore has so much free content to just cover to just talk about and everyone involved in it everyone in the ecosystem would benefit from you doing that they wouldn't be mad at you they wouldn't you know like it's so hard to talk about yourself all the time that when people talk about you they put you in context and it's so much easier to point at someone talking about you even though you know like i mean maybe it feels a little bit preachy but not as preachy as like telling somebody for the 50th time that you're new song or your idea is awesome. You oh, know, yeah. like, well, I mean, someone else saying it is absolutely critical. crucial. Yeah. I mean, critical. you need to, so everybody has like book reviews or on their jackets, you I know, mean, there's, you know, like we're like, blurbs, not book reviews. write software, right? Okay. Like we've built an, a company, an events, like a local underdog loved Wait, events let's, company. Yeah. Let's talk about right? this. Cause you guys are, it started off pixelated and now you're more like tech company than photo booth company right but yeah. how do we not cut off that awesome like history of what we are so oh no don't cut yeah. it off i'm just saying it's it's an evolution right right mm-hmm. so i guess what i mean to say is like we hope that we handle our our evolution with grace and and not lose where we came from in the process of doing it um so we'll get into that my my point was only going to be that like we talk about this software, right, a ton, and it's hard to change the narrative of what Pixelated is about and what people expect. And then 10 days ago, we get an email that says, uh, I'm writing an article on the photo booth industry for Inc. Magazine. Right? I saw this article. Could we interview you as like one of the 20 photo booth companies they're going to do? Um, so Nick did the interview, did a wonderfully thorough job, I have no doubt. I did um, not know that his last name was pronounced. Kina. Kina. Yeah. Why do they? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Like Chianti is what he, if you were here right now, he would say like Chianti. I've always said China and I feel like I've been offensive to him. So Nick, I apologize. You, apologize. you should probably apologize. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so he did such a great job that they called back within like an hour and said, we're just going to make you guys the focus of the whole article. And then they didn't mention another company. I thought you were one of 20 interviews. That, oh, was, that was just you. Well, that was supposed to be the plan. Oh my gosh. And then they didn't. And then I guess... We're doing a good enough job in trying to build something that has actually got a big opportunity to it. And they found it captivating and wanted to just focus on us, which was great, right? My point is just I can scream all day long on LinkedIn about like Pixie Cloud and how we're capturing a thousand email addresses a month for like some museum in Philadelphia or how like the union photo booth beat pixelated as the best photo booth in Baltimore and like the voters poll, but like that's still a silent win because like that's our software that's driving it. And it gets like accolades, right? But not like Ink Ink Magazine Magazine writing something about you. So like I put that up there and, and literally people that I have been 
writing to for months to be like, hey, will you answer me? Will you answer me? Like, I really want to tell you about this. Will you answer me? And they're like, not answering me. All of a sudden, they're up on the thread like, congratulations, Patrick. We're going to be in touch soon, right? I like wanted to take it and just email it to every open lead that I'm trying to close and be like, psst. Mm-hmm. Here's this thing, like if you had any doubt, like what we're building is real, but it's the context, right? Like it's got a ton to do with it. So yeah, is, anyway. is your is your focal point right now business development or what's yes, yes, a yeah. million percent, a yeah. million percent. I mean, I um, gosh, you know, maybe it's the booze. I I struggle a lot with um, feeling like I can keep up with the sophistication that I feel like my company is going to continue to need from me, right? So I'm not like a traditional business person and we have built a technology. So as you were saying before, um, so the lightning round of Pixelated is wanted to build a photo booth company that you didn't have to climb in the thing, that it wasn't ugly, that the pictures were really good because digital photos were like, cameras were cheap. And, uh, and that we didn't want to be like a mom and pop. Like mm-hmm. business, like Uncle Barney's photo booth, Maryland photo booth, whatever. That was where we started, got really good at that, and then got into digital marketing from just trying because we had no money, and then we started to work with with um, small brands, local brands, and we realized that what we were actually doing was capturing leads and creating branded content on site and helping them drive social media content and being a cool activation and a fun experience. And we got really good at white labeling ourselves in lieu of that kind of insight and built a pretty good book of business, but we had always been using third-party software, which was built for like bar and bat mitzvahs. Like mm-hmm. it was photo booth party, birthday party photo with software. And there no data captured. It had it, but not, yeah. it had it as like. Not for like biz dev. It was just like. Okay. Right. It was like, uh, you want your wedding guests to send themselves emails? Like do that. And then because it's a computer program, it has to create like an archive of all of those email addresses and you could pull it as a CSV. So we were able to, to, to front our way through it, but not looking at it from that capacity. Do you know if there are other photo booth companies who are doing this? Sorry, oh, we're jumping ahead. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because okay. yeah. it, it feels like I had not heard of – when you guys started doing this, maybe I was just not in the photo booth, like yeah. weekly email list. But <laughs> it did seem pretty impressive to, to, to go from like, oh, we're just at bat mitzvahs to let's be at events and, and, yeah. and help you capture this data. Yeah. So I, I just didn't know if, if you guys were the forefront of that or, or where we're, you – I think that we're definitely at the forefront of yeah. it. There are absolutely other companies that are doing it. I don't think that they have – our point of view in terms of how we're parsing the market. Um, One of the things that we did, if you were to look at our website and look at all of our traffic that comes in and what converts, like the the top 14 organic searches all have the word pixelated in them. So we aren't necessarily the photo booth company for your wedding anywhere. What we are is pixelated. Mm -hmm. And what people know definitively is that when you hire a photo booth company, often you hire pixelated. So it's very brand specific, which is what we set out to do, right? To not have a generic company and to have like a very brand specific company. It was a long process of getting to that point. And I think that we waited the very longest to start building the software. And it allowed us to, I mean, just to be frank, you know, like we started pixelated with a few thousand dollars and then we um, sold a portion of the company to build, uh, to, to raise equity to build our own software. So we, you know, like we've gotten here 
through nothing but hard work, but it's, you know, it's a challenge to help investors see the value potential in a tech play by a local events photo booth company. Like no, even still in 2018, I mean that's totally. that's still the narrative. We're in Maryland though. I mean, all investment dollars yeah. largely go into bio and they go into But I feel like everyone's looking for the next big thing and and maybe not in Silicon Valley, but out, outside of it. Maybe, but I, they, maybe I think the investors my... still live in Silicon Valley. Okay, They're just yeah. looking outside of it. I mean, Look, we have investors in in the Mid Atlantic. I don't mean to to denigrate in that capacity, but it's tough. It's not, you know. I think that we're uh, pixelated based in Austin or based in Los Angeles or based in Colorado or Seattle. Quite frankly, um, I think that it would be a lot easier for us just because they're they tend to be markets that are more progressive and thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, so how do you how do you pass that hurdle? Because I mean, I I, I assume you're not intending to leave the city. Or is that, or are you? So I actually do intend to leave Baltimore uh, at some point, and I would love for it to be under the uh, under the guise of being able to take Pixelated to the next level. I think that we're close to being able to read those tea leaves, but not quite yet. Um, from a personal point of view, you know, I have I'm the father of uh, of three young boys. And uh, and the husband of a really amazing woman, and we. Uh, so I'm start. I'm just getting to the evolutions in being a family, and I feel like we're going through the first one. So my oldest is uh, is seven years old, and my middle is five, and uh, I have an 18 month old as well. And we're starting to get to this place where I can see the first turn of who we're going to be as a unit. Um, and we opt outside, <laughs> not mm-hmm. to be a hashtag, but we, um, if we are going to go and do something on the weekend, it's probably hike. Um, and if it were up to Chelsea and I, we would probably hike every single day. Um, so that's something that is becoming very much a part of us. And we want to see and experience. There are so many national parks that we want to see together and we haven't seen them yet. So now we don't want to leave anyone out. We want to do it as a unit. And in that regard, like the Mid Atlantic is a hard place to like try and be super outdoorsy for a period of time. So we have the Appalachian. We have the we do, Come and, on, and that stuff is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Um, the other side of it is that I've only ever lived in Baltimore, sure. and I would hate to never have another nuanced existence for at least a period of time. Um, I'll always be from Dundalk, just the same as oh, look. There's my. Switch. I was going to say I will always be from Baltimore, just the same as I'm always going to be from Dundalk. Mm-hmm. But I actually slipped Dundalk in there for the double positive. Well, personal decisions aside, I mean professionally, yeah. What what would a move do for Pixelated, and and what would what would Baltimore need to do to keep an emerging tech company here? Yeah. So Pixelated would never move from Baltimore oh, okay. under any circumstance whatsoever. Okay. Um, part of that is because this is where we're from and this is where we're built out of. And I just can't imagine what that would do, um, in a, for a lot of reasons. I, I do think that if we left as a company that it would hit, I think it would sting. Um, but I don't think that we would survive if we left. Um, the other thing is that, uh, for all intents and purposes, Nick is, is very, um, settled in Baltimore and he doesn't foresee leaving, um, Whereas my, on a personal point of view, my um, life is a lot more free to do what I want. I lost my mom a few years ago, and my dad, um, 
in her in her absence tends to travel a lot anyway. And my brother lives in San Francisco, and he spends a lot of time out there. And my sister's in Bel Air, but she, you know, like she's cool. She she gets it. And then I'm not super close with my extended family, mm-hmm. so I don't have a lot tying me here. And um, Chelsea's family is just uh, God, just uh, just so affluent in that way that that's just kind of been the expectation always of her life was just like we we you know her parents want their kids to to grow up and go to colleges all over the place and go find life in crazy she places she's originally from Maine okay um and then she moved down here uh in, just before she started high school her dad was a hospital administrator at GBMC and he got relocated so she went to high school at Towson um so for that reason we're a lot more opened up whereas Nick's entire family is really lives around Catonsville mm-hmm. and his wife um Catonsville and she has a big family and they're all kind of mostly Catonsville and that's just an incredibly strong part of the fabric of their lives so we there's not there's no risk of pixelated leaving Baltimore ever and I wouldn't want it that way either I think where the opportunity would be is claiming home number two. And I have been the last year or so actually been flirting with Austin a lot as that being it. Um, I'm not quite sure that I want to live in Austin. I'm not sure that I want to move my family to Austin. Sometimes I'm really sure that I'd like it because it's a pretty great place. Um, But it's hard to figure that out, right? Because there's the part of you that wants to pick a great place to move your family to. Mm -hmm. And then there's the part of you that needs to be diligent to pick a great place for your business to thrive in. And it's a little bit hard figuring that out. Is there a lot of hiking in Austin? I don't think there's any, but there's like well, trails and. Did mention like, that was yeah. a big, yes, a big point. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, you can hike on trails. You don't have to hike up a mountain. Okay. Clearly, I'm so not yes, a hiker. Yes. We opt inside. <laughs> <laughs> we opt like Netflix and like happy hour. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's oh. hilarious. So I don't know. Um, one of the things that I was saying, like, to get on this tangent, is that I. Um, I do worry a lot about my skill set and my capacity to fulfill a role in Pixelated that really continues to benefit it. Um, and because you were asking, I mean, is Nick worried? Biz Dev, or no, do you he's feel never that's worried. an internal worry? No, he. I mean, I Nick. You know, like Nick has all of the spinning plates like in the air. He's so exceptionally um, organized. Nick is a killer. Operations got. I mean, You're that's not, to not to other. limit him, but man, I could have never done pixelated without Nick. No How do you way. know Nick? Oh, through pixelated. Nick. I mean, so well, but you don't. We, you you don't used to have a third date. partner. Okay, okay. And uh, so, our third partner's wife is Nick's wife's sister. Okay. And was is my wife's best friend. Okay. So we know each other through that. But Nick and I had only probably been at a party once or twice together um, previous to that. Uh, We didn't really know each other at all. Actually, he was, um, when the the idea got brought to me, I was just kind of like, I really don't know him. Like, I'm not sure why you want to have him involved, to be honest. Um, Was kind of like my general idea. But I also thought they were talking about a different cousin. So like that That's a lot of family members. happened it well. But um, yeah, I don't think Nick is worried. I'm always like, you have so much on your fucking plate and I don't feel like I do anything. Like, what should I be doing? And, you know, almost always his answer is you just keep doing what you're doing. Like, you keep doing what you're doing. I just need you to keep doing what you're doing. Which is great, but 
it also feels a little bit catch as catch can at times where you're like, well, what is it? Well, hold on. While we're at it, what am I doing? <laughs> like, all right, which part of whatever right. I'm doing is working? And can you just like, like hit me off with that real quick? Because I'm going to write it down because I'm not sure exactly. It's like imposter syndrome, doing. sort of, would you say? Gosh, I just, it's just all feels and no structure to them at all. I mean, I have, you know, I think that if, if we're being hyper honest, um, which we are, we're drinking, which, which we are, in front of microphones. I think that there's probably, you know, uh, I think that I probably have a learning disability to some, you know, something undealt with, but, you know, writing proposals, like doing shit like that, I will literally be like, Go ahead. I've been putting this off for four days. <laughs> I can't do it. And he'll be like, what is it? And I'll be like, it's this, 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 and this. And I'll be like, there's your four line items. And I'll be like, yes, yeah. like this is awesome. But I struggle with that kind of stuff. And that's the kind of stuff that, uh, like, he's just exceptionally detail-oriented. And, he, you know, he grew up um, working inside his grandfather and then his father's uh, electrical contracting firm. So he's been looking, you know, his dad's been teaching him profit and loss statements since he was 12. Uh, my husband and, said P&L the other day, yeah, and I was like, what are you, right? No idea. Like, I'm naughty, I, are you? I was an English yeah. major. I don't. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you are not history like, major, oh, Rob. Like, right, what do you Rob. know about P&L? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I don't know. what We've clearly gotten into the um, Nick Kena praise section here. But uh, business development feels very um, mercurial to me. It feels very ambiguous. And I'm not always sure how I do it. But I know that if I have to send um you know like blanketed emails out like i hate myself and i'm usually not very successful uh i know that if i can get face to face with someone i can almost always walk away with a friend and if i can walk away from a friend with a friend then no doubt if there is an opportunity to work with us they're going to do it and i am going to actually know that person so then that way, as I am meeting people in life and someone says something to me and that person's like ghost floats up in my mind and I'm like, we have to talk to, like, I have to introduce you to this person because, and I can really quickly give them all of the, uh, the anecdotes around why I'm introducing them or why I think they should reach out. And it's always because of very relevant reasons. So I'm good at like retaining all of these cosmic webs that I That's can see connect people together. Um, and you can't take that outside of Baltimore. That's the problem with that skill set. You can't. But I'm a chameleon, like a motherfucker. Yeah. Like I'm super good at, like I love, you know, like I want to like be in paint covered overalls, like playing the auteur. And then I will put on a suit and be super put together. And I, you know, I have always loved when I show up somewhere and someone has tried to put me in a box in their mind and then they see me and they go and I'm like and they try to be like well, I didn't think that you could clean up and I'm like I'll you know like I will outdress you every second <laughs> like just because I'm a total weird I'm like you know the, the weirdo thing is like a like, that's an outfit too mm -hmm. like it's all just part of how like we navigate lives so I think in that regard I Part of me is terrified to say, like, well, what happens if you go to Los Angeles? The other part of me is, like, you just have to 
just go for it sure. totally and completely. And I'm only discouraging you because it's nice having you here. Yeah, yeah. But you guys should do whatever's best for your family. Y- yeah, well, <laughs> well, we'll see. So my friend Kelly had said this thing that's so simple, but I've sort of carried with me. And it's just that everybody has their place. And so when I'm feeling really stressed about what you're saying, like you haven't used the term imposter syndrome, but I do. And and I'm thinking, you know, should I be doing this? Am I doing it right? Should I be doing it at all? I look around. I'm like, well, they're not doing it. And if they can, they're not. But I am. And and maybe that's my place right now. Maybe that's what I'm meant to be doing. And so I wonder if, if that's how you feel with this or if you could allow yourself to feel that way. Yeah. So that, like you just like added on the, the I think the telling anecdote and definitely the imposter syndrome thing. And I think part of that is just being honest. And part of that is being terrified about who you can become under the need of what your role is at that moment, right? So there are moments where I'm like, I feel like I'm the engine is finely tuned and I understand exactly where I am on the Autobahn and I'm really like in my refined moment. Um, Part of the whole, you know, being a founder thing, right? Like being an entrepreneur. So like I've finally got to a place where I am, I'm super comfortable calling myself an entrepreneur and I can actually finally trace back all of the threads that make me great at it way into being a kid. Like As I can Ink Magazine. It. Yeah, well, but I couldn't see it forever. Like, you know, like particularly next to Nick because he's got such a traditional like, you know, like immigrant grandfather started a big con- and like grew big companies. And then his dad did the same thing and like a lot more of that natural side of it. But it took me a lot longer to think about whether it was like wanting a paper route or whether it was making music and wanting to figure out how to like wrap it up and sell it and 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 make it this thing. And then there were other endeavors. You know, there was always this this intuition towards like a side hustle or or, or what have you uh, that was – Pardon me. So, like, I, I have that to a degree, but the other part about being uh, like a, a founder or being like the the somebody responsible to an organization is that there is just a constant um, that I feel at least feeling of guilt to need to constantly be covering some base that's not being covered or maybe you could be doing something better or, or like there's never not dirt to be tilled and that can be an, a very overwhelming thing particularly as your your business evolves and your business model evolves and what you need to do for it changes um, and then you also change as a person and your your feelings toward what your roles are and your responsibilities change as well and that is all a very um, heady mix and a heady cocktail of what is and what isn't right and it's all well how do you trust that then like how do you know when to pivot how do you know when to go from photo photo booth company to tech company so i think honestly as long as you're willing to accept that you can't dictate the time with which the transition will happen so i think that nick and i are some of the best about creating an intuitive product. And I think that when we get Pixie Cloud to a place of proper product market fit, um, we are going to see just how how right we actually really were. 
Um, and I only say that because we are extreme practitioners of what we've done. I don't say it because I'm cocky or uh, because I'm overconfident. It's just because we've done this a fucking thousands and thousands of times year after year. And we've told people how it should be and we've had them ignore our advice and we've known that it would have turned out. But, you know, like it's just through having done it and done it and done it. And then the other side is that we're trying to build something from an – we. We try to stay and get back to an egoless point of view with with regards to what we're building very constantly because the worst thing that you can do is build something because you think that it's a cool idea. And when instead what we're trying to do is build something because the people that are using it are giving us feedback that we're building in the right direction. Uh, so when it comes to that, I don't – it's it's not as challenging. I mean it would be great to be able to read the tea leaves more easily and more quickly – Um, but you can't like, that's the one thing that I've really learned is that you just can't, but go so fast given whatever the tools are that you have. And, you know, like, even if we had, um, even if we had 10 more people, uh, it wouldn't necessarily mean that we could move faster because it depends what those 10, who those 10 people are. Mm -hmm. Are those 10 people smarter than us? Are those 10 people, um, previously qualified with transitioning an events company to a software SaaS company? Are they qualified with taking an events company and creating like a serious marketing platform that is a lead? Like if, if, if I'm getting somebody from like the C-suite of Eventbrite or Cvent, then like we might be talking differently, right? Because they can see what we've done and they have the access points to plug it in. Mm-hmm. If not, I might be slowing myself down by adding people that are so that is um that is such an evolutionary point that what I'm coming to realize is just you have to you have to do it at the speed of which the vehicle that you're in and just try and be as integrity laden as possible every step of the way and patient mm-hmm. um which is challenging and you know like it's challenging from a a patient's point of view, but it's also challenging from a myriad of other things like when you you know when you have investors and you have predicted uh a a, a you know you you've laid out a revenue prediction that is predicated on certain things and if those things don't come through or they go left on that turn instead of the right that you thought they were going to take and it changes things you have to be ready to figure out and you know that could be you're going to run out of money sooner than you intended or it could be somebody's going to be pissed or you know there are all these different machinations that that come in so like the the choose your own adventure side mm-hmm. of it is legit except you can't go back you can't be like wait like I didn't like I'm not going to go to page 112 cuz this ended immediately instead I'm going to like go back to page 68 and or I'm going like to take the second entirely. option <laughs> right right whatever the case may be so I don't know if I answered that question, but. Well, this has turned into a little more of like how I built this than Hey Baltimore, but I appreciate that. <laughs> what is Hey Baltimore? What is. No, I'm joking. I know. I know. But like, what, so what should we be talking about? Hey well, Baltimore. We're moving into our like finale of each episode, which right. is when I ask you questions about things you like to do in the city. Yes. But first I do have to say, if you could make just like a small critique on Pixelated, if you could make the keyboard bigger on the screen. Which ones? On the ones with staff or the ones on the installed things? Both. Because I tend to be drinking at uh, events with Pixelated. Gotcha. And if they were just a little bit bigger, I probably wouldn't hold up the line as much. 
So we nor were the people in front of me or behind me. We definitely have on our uh, on our like development chart of features to come. Mm-hmm. We are going to at some point make a custom keyboard. So I will add this. To you the call it the Megan footnotes. keyboard? Yes. Like two centimeters, we'll three centimeters it the Eisen bigger. Keyboard. Eisen keyboard. Perfect. Instead Done. of QWERTY, I like it. Done. <laughs> the mega board. The mega board. That's even better. Mike. There you Thank go. You. How did we miss that? The mega board. Jesus. Done. Easy. <laughs> sort of embarrassed. I didn't think of that. Okay. So um, I ask everybody the same five questions, which I have actually not written down, but hopefully you memory will. Them. Yeah, we'll see. Do you I, ask them in the same order? I mean, typically, but all right. we'll, we'll just see what we can do. All okay. right. So. Favorite, and this is all like within Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Favorite place to be outside in Baltimore? Baltimore City. Baltimore City. Well. Uh, Herring Run Trail. Okay. Great. I live in Hamilton, uh, Lauraville. <laughs> and uh, man, the Herring Run is fucking awesome. Like Lake Montebello. So I'm a runner. Um, I run Lake Montebello a lot, but I also run the Herring Run Trail. Um it's awesome. At the end of it, there's a brewery um, now. What is which one is over there? I haven't even been to it yet. Oliver, I think, is over there. Is that right? Off of Shannon Drive, I think it's Oliver. If not, whoever's brewery it is, I'm sorry. There are so many of you to keep straight. But like Herring Run Trail, okay, great spot. Don't touch the water, but samey for all of Baltimore, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Wasn't going to, but now I might. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's like the uh, the pen ultimate. Don't touch the water next to the Jones Falls. So anything near yeah, it, don't yep. touch the water. Yeah, we're coming up on that. Well, never mind. Take that part out. I was going to make a 2020 joke. We shouldn't say oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So favorite place to go on a date? Oh, my God. Ugh, Clavel. Clavel always comes up. Well, I mean, yeah, fucking Clavel. Like all day long because of their spicy margaritas. And that place is just so great. I gush at it so much. Like, I don't know um, the the husband proprietor's name and but lane who i've never met before but like god damn what a business like fuck that just like the drinks but the the decor is exceptional like the like special the go drive around and then figure out how to get like spirits that like probably can't make it to Baltimore very easily other way like that whole side they of it go to Mexico oh no I know yeah. they do. I'm trying not to out them too <laughs> oh, much oh, about, sorry. about the whole oh, I'm sorry. the whole well, side well, of they, they take staff like on trips there it's, yeah. it's a it's a experience it's an experience for, yeah. but like the staff like the the care and the love with which they communicate um you know, like, I get their family cooking, right? I get them being about it, about it, right? Well, have you listened to Carlos's podcast? He's no, the head chef. No, Excellent podcast. Right. Not to promote my own podcast. But it's a good one. On the podcast. But, oh, my God. It's Carlos, a good one. He's, right. Well, he is amazing. And you get to know a lot more about the food and what Clavel, how it started and, and why it's Clavel through, through this interview. So. I, will, I will listen to it. I yeah. only listen to, um, to Fitz Bombs. Which was wonderful as well because she's an incredible painter and um, I had no idea that she taught for all those years. Mm -hmm. So it literally made me think it's so fucked up, but you like get one nugget of information about someone and all of a sudden you're like whole perspective changes a lot. Which is not to say that my perspective wasn't good, but it's just I hadn't factored that nugget in. At any rate, I was in there one night and I was watching uh, this like rowdy drunk group of like – 
cougars, I'll just like kind of say it what it is, came in to Clavel and clearly like one of them knew about it and they were all like not city dwellers. Like it was just obvious and the kitchen was closed and they thought they were coming and getting like late night food and the one who had clearly brought everyone there was on the hook mm-hmm. and she was kind of also being like a bit shitty uh-huh. and man, the staff never, they, they didn't wrinkle. They didn't wrinkle. And I told him that night. I said, you know what? Like, you guys are ex- – like, your professionalism is just refreshing to sit here and watch. I was like, I own a business. I understand what it is. I understand what it is to be under the wheel of people that are just uncompromising and being really terrible to you and the need to dig into that. And I said, you know, you must have a pretty special boss that is figuring out how to make this whole ecosystem stay so – even keeled and just pleasant for everyone. So, yeah, I mean, well, I what what is that... better than like drinks with your boo? Like hyper packed tight at the bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like gosh, you're like you, there's that you huge can, ice like, cubes. So you're like, maybe I'm not drinking that much tequila. Um, I totally, I am. I, I am. I am. But tequila. but it's like yeah, without a doubt, Clavel is the best spot for a date in the city. Okay, well, my next one is dinner. Do you want to say Clavel as well, or do you want to mm-hmm. push it out a little bit? Man, I mean, I guess if I'm just going to be like super intimate with my life, I would say to Tapas Teatro. I mean, it's an oldie, but it's great. Damn, it's a goodie. I wish they would bring back the risotto balls. Those haven't been there for like a decade, but now you've asked. Shit. Hey guys, it's out there. It's the secret. We'll find out somehow. <laughs> you can invite Chelsea and I. We'll just come. You can make them one night, and that'll be that. Yeah. All right. Favorite place to buy a gift? Uh, no, actually, I know exactly where I would go. That's. It's actually pretty crazy. If I need to buy a gift, I am going to go to – I'm going to forget the name of the shop. What's the name of the shop on Reed Street? Well, one, it would be um, to Knit Soya Metal and Keepers Vintage. And the other one, and they have equal aplomb was across the street, is – what is it called? What's the spot across the street called? I live – I live oh, what is her? Oh thirty feet from there, and I uh, she sells all the great like secondhand denim clothes, like not denim clothes, but oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm spacing on it. It's on Reed Street, right across from like Bun Shop and all those. I want to. I keep well, wanting to call it Blue Bottle. No. What? Oh oh oh! Um, oh bottle what? of bread. Bottle of bread. That's the spot. Mo. That's her name, the woman that owns that spot. That place is great. It's so cool. Those mugs that she carries in there from that one ceramist in Philadelphia. Her shit is incredible. She has all the, like, dope local wear. Her Instagram. Do you follow follow Bread's Instagram? I'm it's, embarrassed to admit publicly that I don't. It's fire. Okay. It, her, so for story, she, like, as she's putting stuff on the rack, she models it. And she has probably maybe one or two other women and like a, a occasional dude or two and she'll just bring them in and do all the photography for it and we'll just post shots on it but it's like it's really good i, I like think i've I'm heard a, about this i'm like super into the sartorialist like i i dig yeah. street fashion and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. a lot uh, well my, seeing like regular people in clothes is yeah. i mean it's, it's weirdly imp- important to me now <laughs> just I, Rent the Runway awesome. does that, which is obviously it's like massive company, but they allow users to upload photos of themselves in the clothes, and so you can uh, you can actually be like, I'm this tall and I weigh this much, my body shape yeah. is this, and it'll filter the people that say the same, and you can be like, oh, you know, that probably won't so look smart. good on me. Yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah, I All like right. I like fashion a lot. I like clothes a lot. And yeah. So bottle of bread is bottle of bread keepers vintage and soy knit metal. Okay. Knit soy metal metal right. knit soy. I, I'm sorry, Letta. I always. 
misarrange them. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. There's one more, and it is all done. Favorite place to get a cocktail? A lot of uh, so I, I might need to like re up these because I feel like people say Clavel and it sort of covers <laughs> three of the five questions. It does kind of cover three of the five questions, but um, I don't know. At the moment, I would say the Bluebird. Sure. That place yeah. is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like I did. I mean, shit. You go like storytelling side, like. Like working at Gallery Seven Eighty Eight with Eduardo for his like crazy oh ass events. Like you that's where there? I was hanging out with. No, doing pixelated. Oh, 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 okay, okay. I mean, that's where I was hanging out with Jason and Aaron. That's where like our relationship was was fomented, like from treason. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. And another podcast Paul, you have to listen to. Yeah, yeah. And Come on, Paul Patrick. Eric Rich. Did you know Paul? Who did the brothers? He did like beard oil, and they made brothers rich. Oh yeah, brothers rich. Duh. So like met yeah. him through there. Him and his wife. Uh, Caroline, I mean, so many people. There was one specific night that was just fire. Uh, And then to come up years later into that weird-ass building already, and there was already the Belgium bar down Mm -hmm. there, which I thought was cool. I'd never actually drank in it. And then my wife took me to Bluebird, and she was like, oh, it's this new place. And we're like, I'm like, where is it? And we go there, and I was like, this is Gallery 78. And we walk in, and it's it's all this royal blue, and there are windows, like... It's a beautiful room, and their drinks are are awesome. Beautiful. And that like red lentil hummus or yellow lentil hummus that they have is fucking insane. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Sunday nights is the night I believe where they have like five dollar hummus uh, appetizers. Okay. And, Sunday. Yeah, Sunday nights that. at Bluebird is the time to go. Well, yeah. what cocktail do you get there? That's what I don't know. It was something with rosemary and gin, but they change it seasonally, I think. Okay. And I don't think I've been there in two seasons, so womp womp. Send me a gift certificate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Shameless plug. <laughs> All right. Well, Patrick Rife, who – okay, I have to tell you something. Yeah. Rob, when he – because he think Rob met you before I did, and he told me your last name was Rife. Rife. Like Tenerife. <laughs> What's Tenerife? It's like – um. One of the little islands off of Africa. Oh, I, I think it's Portuguese one. or Spanish, oh, but it's cool. Tenerife. And I was like, I think it's Rife. And he's like, no, it's Rife. Yeah. So I think I might have called you Patrick Rife and Nick China. That's all right. For a while. My grandmom, for a period, my grandmom had added a second F. And there's also like an O, a riff on it that is riffy. But it's oh, Rife. Rife. And there's a whole like town in Kentucky that has like all of the like car dealerships or like Rife Honda, and and that's my people. Any relation? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah? my people. Okay. It's my people. Well, it's like Jenkins, Jenkins, Kentucky. Shout out. Coming Great. for you. Yeah. We'll run this Baltimore <laughs> podcast on Jenkins, Kentucky. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thanks to Patrick Rife and his sonic boom of a voice for being on the show. Head to Pixelated, and that's Pixelated with an I-L, not E-L, com to book your own open-air photo booth or to learn more about what the Pixie Cloud can do for your business. For past Hey Baltimore episodes and all the cool stuff happening downtown, go to our site, godowntownbaltimore.com. Hey Baltimore is produced by Mike Evitz and made possible by Downtown Partnership of Baltimore. Our theme music is Artificial Sin by Super City, and I'm your host, Megan Eisenach. If you want to reach out, email us at heybaltimore at dpob.org. And thanks for listening.